This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. First Corinthians chapter 1. Just let you find that for a moment. Corinthians chapter 1, reading from verse 26. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world, and the things which are despised God has chosen. And the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. Jesus Christ, without doubt, was the greatest visionary that ever lived on this earth. And his mission in this world was to save mankind, and by any stretch of the imagination, this was a mammoth, immense task. And in the end, it would cost him his very life. But having completed his mission, he left behind a message, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that gospel would be taken to the ends of the earth over this past 2,000 years. And men and women and boys and girls in every continent and in every country in the world would find Christ as their Lord and Savior. Now, isn't it amazing that His whole ministry on earth was accomplished in just three years, from his baptism at Jordan until his crucifixion at Calvary. And during that short period, he gathered around himself many disciples. And out of the many, he chose 12. And these 12 hand-picked disciples would become apostles And they, in turn, would shape the whole of Christianity from that point onwards. And in fact, Christianity would shape the history of this world from that point onwards. And the incredible thing that also that the 12 that Jesus chose, none of them are scholars. None of them are academics. None of them were rabbinically trained. In fact, it was said of the disciples, they were unlearned and ignorant men. It doesn't mean they were stupid, but it just means that they weren't rabbinically trained. They hadn't gone to any uh, schools of the rabbis. However, we know that later on, the apostle Paul would come, and he was rabbinically trained, and he had a theological or a theologian's mind, and he was uh, an academic in every sense of the word. And he had the great CV, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, But even that, he says, counted as nothing that he might win Christ. None of them are orators. None of them are men of influence. None of them had any wealth or were prosperous. And yet, yet these were the men that God chose to change the world. At least four of them, perhaps maybe even seven of them, were fishermen. 
One was a tax collector, the most despised profession in all of Israel. One of them was a zealot. He belonged to a, a kind of a quasi-political party uh, that absolutely was bent on and ridding uh, Israel of every Roman and, and would resort to, to murder to do it. And so he was a paramilitary, if we could use that term in today's language. And one of them that we know, of course, was the traitor, uh, Judas Iscariot. And yet for all of that, these 12 ordinary five-eighths men had an extraordinary encounter with Christ and they ended up turning their world upside down. And the ramification of their ministry is the reason why we're sitting here in this place today. So who were these 12 men? What were they like? They made lots of mistakes. They blundered. <laughs> Jesus said they were slow of hearing. They were dull spiritually at times. Uh, there was times they were frightened and were cordially. Other times they were brave. <laughs> there was even a moment when they slept during the prayer meeting. Now, none of us would ever do that, of course. In fact, most of us doesn't go to a prayer meeting to sleep. But that's what they were like. That was the, the raw material that the Lord Jesus actually had to work with. They were racially motivated at times particularly against the Samaritans. They were highly ambitious, wanted to know uh, which side of the, the master they could sit at when he came into his kingdom. They wanted thrones to sit on. And whenever Jesus needed them the most, all of them deserted him and left him. John, of course, we know did come back because Jesus addressed him at the cross. And we know that Peter came back to his trial and it would have been better for him if he had not come back because that's where he even denied him three times. If you had to pick an evangelistic team to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, this would not have been your first choice. In fact, it even wouldn't have been your last choice. I don't think we would have chosen any one of these but these were the ones that Jesus chose, even the traitor himself. And so in spite of their shortcomings and their lapses and their blunders and their foul-ups and their failures, Christ, who knows the heart of every man, still chose every one of them to lay the foundation of Christianity that would last now for over 2,000 years. And so today, I want to begin to look at these apostles. It's about, about a decade since we last did this. So I don't know about you, but I find myself forgetting stuff. And sometimes we need to return and re-examine and listen again and get inspired or get challenged or get encouraged and I find as I read their stories, I, I find me, I get inspired, I get challenged, I get encouraged, and I trust that, that you will too. 
And so we want to see what we can learn. Uh, we know that Scripture says more about some of these than others. Some are definitely more prominent than others. Uh, and each of them are different in their own way. They were different in temperament. They were different in talent. They were different in ability. They were different in personality. In fact, they were just like you and me. Just ordinary 5A's people. The most notable thing about these men was their ordinariness. They were quite unexceptional. Just ordinary plain vanilla. Ordinary garden variety type. Just, just like you and me today. And as we read through this, you're going to see that they're calling and they're commissioning. It came in stages. And why not? Because that's the way God deals with us in a process. It's the way he dealt with Apostle Paul. And we think that began at Paul was the chief witness at the stoning of Stephen, the first Christian martyr. And then we know we had that tremendous encounter in the road to Damascus sometime later when he was heading to Damascus to, to imprison Christians or worse. And then we know that even after that great encounter, he spent some three years in the wilderness seeking the Lord's will and had that great revelation from Christ which makes up about two-thirds of our New Testament. So even the great apostle Paul, God dealt with him in stages in a process and we're no different. We're all on a journey with the Lord. And so we want to look here at that process to begin with. And in a moment we're going to look at John chapter 1. And here we see Andrew and Peter and Philip and Nathaniel. And they're meeting Jesus for the first time. At least, at least Peter was and, and, and Philip and Nathaniel. Uh, some of these, uh, like Andrew, was a, a disciple of John the Baptist. But this is where they have this first encounter with Christ. And this happened right at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry when he has been baptized uh, in the Jordan. And, and it doesn't look as if at this initial encounter was the time whenever they decided to pack their jobs in and go quote-unquote full-time. They didn't give up their day jobs at this point. Uh, that would come a little bit later. And so in, in John chapter 1, verse 35, again the next day John stood with two of his disciples and looking at Jesus he walked, as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned, and seeing them following, said to them, What do you seek? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, when translated, Teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. And they came, and they saw where he was staying, and remained with him that day. Now, it was about the 10th hour. You know, when you see that, and that's about the 10th hour, to think that John wrote this some 60 years after that event, it shows you how much that was just emblazoned on his mind. 
And one of the two who heard him, John speak and followed him was Simon, sorry, was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas. That's the Aramaic term for Simon. You should be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. Or you should be called Peter. It's Aramaic for Peter, I meant to say. Which is translated a stone or a rock. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee. And he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip said unto him, Come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. And so we're seeing the, the first incident when, when some of these disciples actually encountered Christ for uh, the first time. But then if you turn with me to, uh, to Luke chapter 5. I'm reading from verse 1. So it was as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. That's the lake of Galilee. And he saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitude from the boat. And when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which had been taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid, from now on you will catch men. And so when they had brought their boats to land, note this, they forsook all and followed him. Now in that first meeting, they followed him. We read that. But they didn't give up their day jobs. 
But when and where they could, they would go out to hear him preach and to teach and no doubt witness miracles. But they still hadn't given up their day job. And it's only somewhat later on when Jesus meets them here on the shore and he uses their boat and gives them a miracle catch of fish. At that point, it says they forsook all and they followed him. Now they're ready to go. Now they're taking this step of faith because they were commercial fishermen. This was their livelihood. This was their business. This was the support of their families and everything that that entailed. But at this point, they were ready to go, to lay everything down, to follow the master. By the way, in Luke chapter 5, verse 27, it says, After these things he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi, or Matthew, Matthew sometimes called Levi, sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he left all, rose up and followed him. And then in Luke chapter, Luke chapter 6, they had been with Jesus now for some time. They were with him every day, heard his teachings, his parables, his ministry, saw miracles. Some time had elapsed. And now Jesus wishing to appoint 12 out of the many he does what he was wont to do. He goes up into a mountain and prays for the direction of the Father. And verse 12, it says of Luke 6, Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to a mountain to pray, and he continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself. And so Jesus would stay all night praying and seeking the will of the Father. Yes, he was the son of God. Yes, he had perfect knowledge. But in his humanity, and we don't know whether that perfect knowledge was operating at all times, but it would seem in his humanity, he would seek the Father for the wisdom of who to choose and also to pray for the ones that he would choose, that they would be courageous and that they would be fitting and appropriate for the job at hand. And so he called his disciples to himself, and from them he chose 12 whom he also named apostles or sent ones. Now there is a sense they were all sent, but this is a special sense, these apostles. Simon, whom he also named Peter, and Andrew his brother, and James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew, who is Nathaniel. Uh, John calls him Nathaniel. The three other gospel writers calls him Bartholomew. Whenever we talk about him, we'll explain some things. And Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who also became a traitor. And so we see here that the Lord has hand-picked and hand-chosen 12 out of the many. And out of the 12, by the way, we remind you again that out of the 12, he chose three, Peter, James, and John. And what does that tell us? Well, that tells us that in any form of leadership, whether it's a church or a business or whether it's your family or within relationships you have, there always seems to be 
could you use the term a hierarchy <laughs> of relationship? In the sense that you cannot relate to everybody the same way in our humanity. Not even Jesus could do that. It's not that he didn't love them all the same. For he did. In fact, he would lay down his lives for them. But in relating to them, even out of the 12, out of the many disciples, he chose three out of the 12 that he felt most comfortable with. That in his, his crisis moments, he would take those three aside with him. And so in our humanity and within our personality, we can't relate to everybody the same. We try to treat everybody the same. But when it comes to relationship, then there is deeper relationships because of our personalities and whatever, because of what we're doing. And so it's not that we're being cliquish, because I'm sure Jesus could have been accused of having a weak click. But in his humanity, he felt he had to do that. So there's nothing wrong with that, actually. Notice it says, and it came to pass in those days. What does it mean in those days? Well, about 18 months had passed since he first met them. And they had been having them with him on a daily basis. And they were watching and hopefully learning and getting some understanding of his ministry and what he was about. But now he's looking forward. And he realizes he's, he's halfway through his ministry on earth. In another 18 months, he's going to be going to the cross and he's going to die. Then he's going to leave them. He's going to send his Holy Spirit. So they need to be ready for that. He needs to teach them and train them more. And now there's going to be intensive training. Now there's going to be really hands-on, intensive, in-your-face training for the job that's going to be at hand. Why? Because at this point, this is when the religious establishment are at their fiercest against him. They have risen up and they hate and despise the Lord Jesus. And they hate his teaching and they hate his miracles. They hate everything about him and they're plotting to kill him. And so this is the, the era that they're coming into. There's going to be intense persecution and they're going to try every way they can to bring Jesus down and to murder him and crucify him, which they eventually did. And so at that moment, at that time, that's when he chose these 12 out of the many. All of them were called, all of the disciples were called, but a few were chosen. Many are called, but few are chosen. These 12 will be like no other. Yes, they're just ordinary five-eighths men. But they would be like no other. They would set the foundation. And so these religious leaders now were dead against Jesus. They called him Beelzebub, the lord of the demons, a drunkard, a glutton, a blasphemer. We know who he is. He's the carpenter's son. Who does he think he is? We know who he is. He's an illegitimate son of the carpenter. That's who he is. And so that would continue to heighten against the Lord Jesus Christ. And that hatred is now institutionalized within Judaism. 
we talked today about institutionalized racism, racism within certain, and sexism and ageism within certain groups and, and, and companies and even the police and, and, and education and all kinds of things. And, and you see it all the time on the news. It's endemic. The British Labour Party is riddled with anti-Semitism. It's institutionalized from the top down. And here, it was absolutely right through from the high priest all the way down through the priesthood against Jesus. The opposition was fierce. Notice that when Jesus chose these 12, not one of them were of their religious establishment. Not one. No priest, no scribe, no Pharisee, no Sadducee, no ruling other, not one. And it's hardly a wonder why that is. The religious leaders had failed in their task as the shepherds of Israel. They had rejected their Messiah. He came unto his own, his own received him not. And now God was going to do a new thing. A new covenant would be made. A new testament would come forth. The old would pass away. The new would come. God was ushering this in. The Christian church was going to be birthed at Pentecost. And these 12, barring Judas, were the ones that were chosen to blaze a trail for the gospel. These would be the first preachers of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These would be the ones that God would use to begin the church. In fact, in Ephesians 2.20, it says, we, the church, is built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And these 12 are the ones who's going to have their names inscribed on the foundations of the New Jerusalem, it tells us in Revelation 21. So what does all this tell us about the man or the woman that God is looking for to use in his kingdom? Because otherwise, it's just a history lesson about the apostles. It's got to mean something for us. First thing it tells us, by and large, he's looking for just ordinary people. Not necessarily having any special abilities or talents or intellectual prowess. Yes, the apostle Paul, who was the exception to the rule, came along who had all of that in spades. Not rich, not influential, not the celebrity type, the are-nots to bring to not the things that are. So God delights in taking the ordinary, those of humble origins, the simple, the nobodies, the no-names, and he makes them into somebodies through his son, the Lord Jesus. Why? So that he gets all the glory. And so be encouraged, church. You feel very ordinary. I know I do. You feel just run of the mill. Who would miss us if we were gone? Apart from family and friends and a few people. But we're the ones that God uses in our generation for his glory. 
It's amazing what he can do with those who are committed to him. So Christ took fishermen, tax collector, paramilitary, just ordinary folks, and he turned the world upside down with them. What can he not do with us? He can use us to shape our world that we live in. So hopefully the stories that of these men will inspire us and challenge us and teach us. And yes, this is what I like about the Bible. It fully tells us of their weaknesses and their foibles and their folly and all the rest of it and their foolishness at times and the mistakes they made and how they messed up and how they got it wrong. And, and the Bible's very open about that. You know, when the Bible talks about its heroes, it's words and all. God doesn't spin it. It's just as it is. And that encourages us. That lets us know that we don't have to be perfect. That God uses us in spite of us many times. Our weaknesses, our inabilities, and all the rest of it. And so as we look at these vessels of clay that God was pleased to use, hopefully we can see ourselves in them. And the Lord was very patient with them. Oh, there's sometimes he scolded them. Where is your faith? Have you no faith? Yes, there was times he scolded them. But he was so merciful. He was so generous. He was so patient. He persevered. When nobody else would have persevered, Jesus did. Listen, there was no plan B. There was no backup strategy. There was no safety net. If these men failed, that was it. Think about it. He didn't have another 12 he's going to point. They were it. And do you know what? Today, we're it. We're it. He's not going to send angels to share this gospel. We're it. He's appointed us to do this in our generation, to take this message to our next door neighbor, to those in our community, to those in our country, or to the ends of the earth. And he's trusting it to us. Let me give you just a little bit more to lead us into tonight. Whenever the Bible talks of these apostles, it lists them into different groups. And it appears that the 12 are divided into three groups of four. And these three groups of four you'll find in Matthew 10, 2 to 4, and Mark 3, 16 to 19. Luke 6, 14 to 16, which we had read together, and Acts 1, 13. And in the Acts group, of course, Judas is missing uh, because by that time, he has long since killed himself. He's out of the picture completely. And isn't it interesting that Peter is always the top of all of the lists? 
And Judas, in the gospel list, because he's no longer in the Acts 1, he's always at the bottom. So there is a kind of a hierarchy going on here. And in the first group is Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And Peter's always the top of the list. And even though those below him sometimes, I think it's in Mark's gospel, change it a little bit. But it's always those four are always mentioned first in all of the lists. And in the second list, it's Philip and Bartholomew or Nathaniel and Thomas and Matthew. And even though as you read the list, there's a little bit of movement in those, but Philip always leads that list, always. And the third list of four is James, the son of Alphaeus, and Lebius, Thaddeus, the same, it's the same name actually, and Simon, and Judas Iscariot. And so there's two Judases, Judas son of James, or Lebius, or Thaddeus, is called in some of the Gospels, and Judas Iscariot. And James, the son of Ophias, is always at the top of that list. And so the Holy Spirit is showing us here that there is a list, and they're always the same. And each list is headed by the same one every time. It should be also noticed if you read through this, if you've got the time to do that, that group two is mentioned less than group one. And group three is hardly mentioned at all. The exception that being Judas Iscariot and will eventually come to him. It would also appear that the first six that are mentioned, Peter, Andrew, James, John, Philip, and Bartholomew, and Nathaniel, were the first disciples that Jesus found. And that they were very familiar with each other. Two sets of brothers, and Philip and Nathaniel, who were great friends. And they all grew up together. It seems to be they grew up together. Certainly, Peter, Andrew, James, and John's worked together in the fishing business. But they're from the same area. So the chances are they knew each other long before they knew Jesus. It's interesting, those are the ones that Jesus chose. And of these 12, of course, it was Peter, James, and John who now formed his inner circle. It was them he took aside on special occasions, like the Mount of Transfiguration. It was those he took aside for that. Or it was those three he took into the room with the raising of Jairus' daughter. Or in the Garden of Gethsemane, it was those three, Peter, James, and John, that he took aside to watch with him while he prayed. Old G. Campbell Morgan, a great old preacher, preacher said that through this, Jesus taught them three things about death. He was glorified in death. See that in the Mount of Transfiguration, they saw him glorified. He was victorious over death. You see that in the raising of Jairus' daughter. And in Gethsemane, he submitted himself even to the death of the cross in the Father's will. Now, as we said before, these 12 men were very different in personality, temperament, and talent. Peter was loud. He was brash. He was opinionated. He was bold. And sometimes he could be cowardly. John seemed to be the quieter, more meditative type. 
I know he had his moments. If you remember how James and John, they wanted to call fire down from heaven and burn up those Samaritans. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Imagine those two in your evangelistic team. Jesus says, you know not what spirit you're on. But they, they, they meant it and they believed they could do it. And Thomas, of course, he was the cynic. He was the doubter. He wasn't just going to take anybody's word for anything. He wanted to see, I will not believe unless I see and I touch. <laughs> so they're a motley crew, aren't they? And of course, Matthew was that tax collector, the hated, despised profession. Imagine taking taxes of your own people in occupation and giving it to the occupiers and taking some money at the top for yourself. You can see how they were hated. And in the same group here was Simon the Zealot, the paramilitary. He would have cut your throat. Can you imagine those two in the same group? Only the grace of God could change those two that they could work with each other, never mind love each other. And they did. That was the grace of God. And that same grace still works today. There's people from both different sets of our divide. And there's some of them has both been paramilitaries on both sides. And today they both love Jesus and they both serve him and they're the best of friends today. Only the grace of God can do that. Now tonight, because Peter heads the list we're going to look at, at Peter especially. And I promise you, he's an inspiring character. And I think we'll see ourselves in him. And then maybe that's why we love him so much. Because all of his blunders, and he was big and blundered his way through lots of things and was opinionated and all the rest of it. And we're going to see how God took that raw material and made him into the rock that he promised he would be. And I promise it will encourage you because you look at yourself and say, well, God, if you can do that with him, then there's no telling what you can do with me. <laughs> Amen? So let's do that tonight as God spares us. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.